Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you, as well as those who are worshiping with us in Prescott Valley today. Welcome to all of you and those of you who are sitting in the cafe this morning. So welcome to those who are out there as well. We're so glad you're here. If you're a newcomer with us, we're especially glad that you are here. We'd love to have a chance to connect with you uh, either online or at Connection Central there in Prescott Valley. Or if you're here at the Prescott campus out in the lobby off to the left, we have a place called Pastor's Point. I'll be hanging out there after the service. would love for you to come by and introduce yourself. If you are a newcomer with us, we are in week 10 of a series through the book of Romans. So we are working our way line by line, verse by verse, through the letter called Romans in your Bible. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Romans chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin today. Now, today I have some good news and some bad news, okay? The good news is we are almost done with the bad news. The bad news is the good news starts next week, all right? Now, I know if you've been with us over the last couple of months, you're probably tired of hearing the bad news. Like that, we all are. It's like, can't you just skip to the good part? And the answer's, yeah, but what fun would that be? We could, but as we said from the beginning, what Paul is doing in the book of Romans is he is trying to help convince us all of our need for the gospel. Like that we truly need the gospel. That, that we are actually worse off than we ever dared imagine. And that's what he's trying to share with us in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. And we have to feel the weight of that. Like, feel the full gravity of the weight of our sin so that when we get to the good news next week, it is going to feel so glorious. But again, that's next week. Today... We're going to feel the full weight of our sin one, one more time. So, um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Okay, And what we're going to read today is somewhat of a summary statement. This is Paul's conclusion 
wrapping up all of the stuff that he has told us is so bad. Okay, so this is a summary. And as we've done, we're going to read this aloud today. So if you're able, grab your Bibles or grab your Romans book. I think it's on page 68 of your Romans book. And we're going to read this. If, you, if you're able, I invite you to stand to your seat or stand from your seat. Stand to your feet. I talk for a living. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Father, we pray that you would use this word in our presence today. Do your work to challenge us, convict us, comfort us, whatever we need. Holy Spirit, We invite you into this place to do your work in us. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So again, the verses that we just read are essentially a summary statement of the first three chapters where Paul is trying to help us understand why the wrath of God is coming. He says at the beginning of chapter one, the wrath of God is being revealed in the world and rightly so. Rightly so, because of all of our unrighteousness. And I make sure that we understand, not their unrighteousness, not those people over there or them people back. No, no, no. Because of our righteousness. The the wrath of God is rightfully being revealed because of me. Of me. Over the last three chapters, Paul has gone out of his way to make sure that we all understand That we are the problem. We are not the solution. We are the problem. Whether you think you are a good person or not, you're not. You are the problem. And while it is true, while it is true that there may be people out there who don't realize that they are part of the problem, that actually doesn't make them a bigger part of the problem. Those of us in here who know the Word of God and yet aren't obeying the Word of God, that actually makes us a bigger part of the problem because we know the difference between right and wrong and yet we still choose to do wrong. 
That makes us a bigger part of the problem. And just in case there's been anybody in here who has sat through the last two months' worth of messages and you still think that Paul is addressing those people and not you, he's going to rectify that today. He wants to make it abundantly clear today. You are part of the problem. So, let's dive in. This is going to be fun. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Now, pause. I've shared with you. We need to, we need to, uh, notice the pronouns here. So this whole section back in chapter one, it begins with Paul talking about they, 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 they are the problem. Those heathen Gentiles out there who are closing their eyes to the glory of God. They don't want anything to do with him. They are an issue. And the Jewish religious segment of the church says, that's right, Paul, you get them. Which is why in chapter 2, the pronoun changes from they to you. What, you think you're any better religious people? And then he spent a chapter and a half telling the religious people how bad they were. You, 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 you are the problem. You, 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 you. And now as we enter into chapter 3, it changes again to we. So Paul says, are we any better? Who is the we? Who's Paul talking about? Well, Paul's talking about people like himself who no longer fit in the category of the pagan Gentiles, nor do they fit in the category of the legalistic Jews. These are Jesus followers, people in the church who are hearing this message. They are the we. They're the we. And and again, as Paul is criticizing the Jewish remnant in the church, you can hear the church people on the other side saying, that's right, Paul, we're better than those people. We're not part of either one of those groups. You help them, Paul. Tell them how bad they are. Help them realize how awful they are. They need to hear this, Paul. And Paul says, wait, wait, you think we're any better? Of course not. What shall we conclude? Do we have an advantage? Not at all. But we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. When he says Jews and Gentiles, you know who that includes? Everyone, you're in one of those categories. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. So when he says they alike are all under the power of sin, he's talking about us. Like every single one of us, we are all under the power of sin. Don't miss this. Sin is not just something you do. It is part of who we are. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Think about it this way. You don't have the flu because you cough and sneeze and run a fever. You cough and sneeze and run a fever because you have the flu. The external symptoms only reveal the internal illness. What you see out here is a result of something going wrong in here. And that's the same as as what's happening in our lives because of sin. We all have sin in here, and it shows up in all of its various ways out here. We are all under the power of sin. As Paul's going to teach us later in the book of Romans, he says we are actually slaves of sin. It is our master. We obey it because we have to. That in our nature, we do not control sin. Sin controls us. 
Which is why he says, we're all alike under the power of sin. All. You, me, we, us, they, them, theirs. Like all, nobody is immune from the power of sin. And the word of God, the scripture that was used in in the Old Testament has been trying to tell us this forever. Like what Paul says here is not new information. It's been it's been true that we are under the power of sin. It's been true since sin came into the world. And just so everybody knows that what Paul is saying is true, that we are all under the power of sin, Paul strings together in our text today seven different Old Testament texts to confirm that no one is righteous. If you look in your Bible, all of those little verses have quotation marks around them because they're all quotation marks, quotations from the Old Testament. Like this is not new information, how bad you are. We just have a tendency not to see it. We gloss over these texts. And so Paul says, I'll put them all on one sheet so you can't miss them. And what we have in these few verses are essentially an autopsy of the human heart. Like if you were to slice us open and crack open our chest, what he has listed here is what you would find inside of us. This is our hearts. And here's what he says. As it is written, in other words, I'm not making this up. These You can go look them all up for yourself. This is what God's been telling us from the beginning. As it is written, there is no one righteous Not even one. Again, this was written down by Solomon a thousand years before Paul. And this phrase was actually used by Solomon's father, David, even before that. So this is not new news. It's not news. Father and son, best king ever, wisest man ever, both recognized there is no one righteous. Solomon even follows it up by saying this. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Nobody fits into that camp. And here's the thing about this line. I don't have to convince you this is true. Like, you already know that's true. In fact, you've used that as an excuse. Like when somebody calls you out on your sin or somebody says, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And you're response is, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We agree with what Solomon's saying here. Nobody's perfect. And that's the problem. Like, that's the problem. None of us have a righteousness that makes us right before God. No one. And whenever you are tempted to say about yourself or to say about someone else, well, they're a good person. Well, they have a good heart. You just need to remember, they aren't good enough. They're not good enough. Your grace-filled granny, she isn't good enough. Your perfectionist mother isn't good enough. Your pharisaical father is not good enough. Your socially conscious college student is not good enough. Your generous grandfather is not good enough. 
Like there's no one righteous. Not even one. You aren't good enough to be right before God. You don't have the power to change that because in this moment, in and of ourselves, we are all under the power of sin. Like this is the entire point of the first three chapters of the book of Romans. Paul is trying to convince you and everybody around you, you aren't a good person. And you need to stop convincing yourself that you are. He continues. There is no one who understands. Like there is not one person who truly understands the greatness, glory, and majesty of God. No one who understands it. No one. Because if they did, if anybody did, they would never sin. Like if we truly understand the glory and majesty of God, we would never sin. We would take Jesus' advice, cut our own hands off, plug pluck out our eyes to keep ourselves from sinning. If we truly understood how great he is. The way that we know, the way that we know today that we don't understand is by thinking about how foolishly and flippantly we act toward God. Like we have, we have no idea how majestic he really is. The fact that we can actually go all day without ever thinking about him tells us we don't understand how great he is. The fact that we can consciously choose to disobey him. Like I know what God says to do, and I know what God says not to do, but I'm not going to do what he wants me to, but I am going to do what he doesn't. That tells us how little we understand about how great God is. The fact that we put our will above God's will reveals to us how little we understand about him. The fact that we have more 80 song lyrics memorized in our head than we do the actual living word of God tells us how little we understand about his greatness. The fact that we get more emotional when people offend us than we do when we offend God. Like, like people offending us is more worthy of our anger and emotion than our offending the God of the universe. That just shows you how little we understand about his glory. The fact that we are more passionate about people knowing what team we root for, what books we're reading, what clothes we're buying, rather than what God we worship, tells us how little we understand about God's goodness. And not only is it that no one understands, he says no one, there's no one who seeks God. To which you might say, object. I do. I seek God. It's not true. I'm here today. I'm here today in this room seeking God. That's why I'm here. And I think that's true. I think that's true. And here's what you can be sure of. Your being here seeking God is a revelation in your life that God is at work in you, drawing you to himself. Because in and of ourselves, we don't seek God. He's speaking of humanity in general. And you know that today you can go home and you can go down to the square. You can go to the lakes today. You can go today and you will realize 
less than 15% of the people in the Quad City area will be in a house of worship today. Less than 15%. Do the math. More than 85% of the people in our communities will not be worshiping the Lord today in a house of worship. Because we don't seek God. Left to our own devices, we seek our will above God's will. We seek our glory above God's glory. We desire our pleasures above God's pleasure. It, if there's anything in us that does seek Him, you can just chalk that up to the work of God that's already begun in you. In fact, instead of seeking God, here's what we do. All have turned away. All have turned away. Like every one of us have chosen of our own will and volition at one point in our life to turn away from God. We didn't just wander away. We didn't, we didn't get dragged away kicking and screaming. We didn't accidentally pass him by. We deliberately turned away from God. We have no one to blame but ourselves. And what do you get? When you have a world full of people who all have turned away from God. What, what's the ramifications of that for humanity? Here it is. All have turned away and they together have become worthless. When you take God out of the equation, you turn your back on God and leave him in the dust, you do not get people who have greater value and purpose and meaning. You get people who have less value, purpose, and meaning. Because all value, purpose, and meaning are found in God. And so when you remove him, all worth and value and purpose and meaning go away. We lose it. And what gets left When you walk away, turn away from God, what gets left, what you'll find when you take God out of the picture is you'll find a world that is full of people who are just a bunch of clumps of cells that are brought together by time and chance that came from nothing, that are going to nothing, that live for nothing in between except to squeeze out of this life all of the temporary pleasure that they could get because you only live once. No value, no purpose, no meaning. When we as humans deliberately decide to turn away from God, humanity collectively becomes worthless. And then we somehow are yet surprised when people live like there's nothing to live for. And Paul brings us back to where we started. All have turned away. Together have become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Those words there, no one, means no one. Outside of God in flesh, there is no one who does good. In case you didn't understand what he meant by no one, not even one. Again, he's, he's making it clear today that you do not get to excuse yourself from this. Everyone is on the outside of good looking in. You are not a good person. And you have never met a good person. Like ever. 
You've never met a good person. There may be people you deem gooder than other people. But we're all grading on a curve here. Because nobody passes the test. Their throats are open graves. Like that portal into your body is like stairs into a catacomb. It's nothing but death in there. Your throat is an open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. And again, deceit isn't just telling lies. Deceit can be created by not actually telling the truth. Like, is there anybody who wants to go on record today that says this, this line here doesn't apply to you? Like, no, no, no. I never deceive, like ever, never once. Like I, I tell the truth a hundred percent of the time. Never exaggerate, never embellish, never manipulate, never flatter. Like you make sure that you lead, you never lead someone to believe something that is not a hundred percent accurate. And you always make sure that everybody gets a hundred percent of the story. Is there anybody in here today that wants to say, this doesn't apply to me? Anybody? Just want to make sure we're all in this. Like when he says all, it's all of us. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Like our lips shoot out poison like vipers that sting people hurt people, sometimes paralyze people. Some of you are paralyzed in your life because of what somebody said to you 37 years ago. And ultimately, it can cost people their lives. Their feet, I'm sorry, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Like full of it. Like they open their mouth and that's what falls out. Cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Pause. This is the place we get to say, oh, okay. <laughs> Finally, one that doesn't hit so close to home. I've never shed anybody's blood except the time I hit my brother with a hat. I'm, I'm sorry, a bat, not a hat. I hit him with a bat, but I didn't kill him. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about killing somebody. Didn't kill him. Okay, so I'm good. This one doesn't apply which is true probably for most of us. You probably haven't killed anyone. But again, let's talk about it in generalities here. Humanity as a whole. You do recognize today, I'm sure most of you are aware, that in the last hundred years, the last hundred years have been the bloodiest hundred years in the history of mankind. You did know that, right? Like more people have died in conflicts in the last hundred years than at any other point in history. Like ever. Like we have this tendency to look at ourselves and think that we are more enlightened, more civil, less barbaric than all of the generations who have come before us. Yet many of you have spent more than half your life in the bloodiest century that's ever existed since mankind walked the earth. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way. Again, just make this one personal for a second. Think about your relationships. Think about people who have interacted with you over the last 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. Think about all the relationships, all of the encounters that you've been in, all the people who have come into your world, maybe for a short season, maybe for a longer season. How many of those people have walked out and what they experienced after a relationship with you was ruin and misery? Is there anybody in here that wants to say, in my wake, there has never been anybody who's ever experienced any ruin or misery because of their interactions with me? Anybody? And the way of peace, they do not know. Again, you look at our world, and we literally have less peace in our world, in our culture specifically, than has ever existed since humans were tracking this. We have less peace in us. We are more anxious and more fearful than any other people that have ever been on the earth. We have more drugs to help us to try to experience some kind of peace. Even though we have more and better access connectivity to God and His Word than has ever existed in history. We have more access, transportation, telephones, internet, email, FaceTime. We have greater capacity to connect with people than has ever existed since humanity began, and yet we are more isolated, anxious, lonely, and fearful than has ever been in the history of mankind. We don't know how to experience peace. And then he gets to what I think is essentially like the cause of death. Like if this, again, if this is an autopsy and he's going through and he's listing all of the things that he sees wrong, this last line is like, it's like This is like the cause of death. This is the toe tag of what brought about the death in these people, in us. And here's what he says. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the ultimate problem that all of the rest of it stems from this. Because when you have no fear of God, then you are free to do whatever you feel is right. When you tell people, when we as a a culture tell people that there is nothing beyond this life and there is no one on the other side that you will have to be accountable to. When we act as if everybody who leaves this world is going to a better place, like that's what we tell people. Like you have never once, ever, 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 you've never once been to a funeral of someone who has died and not had somebody say to you, they're in a better place. And when everybody leaves this place and goes to a better place, no matter what they say or what they do, then we can't be surprised that this list is what you get. And again, Paul is trying to 
trying to just drive one point home over and over and over again. This list is you. And it's me that left to ourselves, this is us. This is our hearts on display. These verses were put in the Old Testament so that people from the very beginning could realize how bad they really are. How dire the situation really is. That there is no one good, not even one. Not me. Not you. We are the problem. We are not the solution. And we need to let that sink into our souls. You aren't good enough. You aren't righteous enough. You don't have what it takes. You are actually the problem that needs to be solved. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So God gave his people his word, which is called the law. He gave them his word so that they would know who he is and know how to follow him. That's what he did. It was a gift that God gave them. But giving them the law did not help them to obey the law. What the law did was actually revealed how sinful they actually were. That God gave his law and it didn't help things. It actually made things worse because again, they began to know, oh no, look at all the ways that I don't live up to the standard of God. But we know what the standard is because he revealed it to us. And so because he revealed it to us, there's going to be a day when we all stand, the whole world will be held accountable to God. The whole world is going to stand before God. And when they do, they will have no excuses. They will have no defense. Every mouth is going to be silenced. Because they know better, but they didn't do better. And they'll have no excuses. Therefore, because of all of that, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. No one will be declared righteous. No one will be looked at and said, well, you're a good person. Come on in. Not going to happen. Because no one is righteous. No one is good. And knowing God's word, frankly, doesn't make it better for you. It actually makes it worse. Understanding God's expectations, teaching his truths, loving and believing his word and then imposing those values on others it doesn't make it better for you it makes it worse because it's your own admission that the standard is good and you don't live up to it but you're a hypocrite because you don't live what you say you believe and in the end all of this exposure to the word of god to the expectations of god all that does is shine a big spotlight on all the ways you disobey Through the law, we become conscious of sin. It's like a mirror that shows us how sinful we really are. And that's the whole point of the first three chapters of the book of Romans. 
So I want to end our time together just by showing you all that Paul has said about us in the last three chapters, okay? Just went through a couple of days ago and just read all three chapters again. And these are the words that he describes us as humans in and of ourselves. This is what he says. He says, we are godless. We are wicked. We are truth suppressors. We are ungrateful. We are foolish. We are darkened in our minds. We are hard-hearted toward him. We are idolaters. We would rather worship and serve created things rather than the creator. We are sexually immoral. We are impure. We are degrading. We're degrading our bodies with one another. We are shameful. We are lustful. We are erroneous. We don't have minds that can think correctly. We are depraved. We are rebellious. We are evil. We are greedy. We are envious. We are murderers. We are contentious. We are deceitful. We are malicious. We are gossips. We are slanderers. We are God-haters. We are insolent. We are arrogant. We are boastful. We are disobedient. We are faithless, heartless, ruthless. We are judgmental. We are stubborn, unrepentant, ignorant, cursing, bitter, worthless, murderous, hateful, innovative in our proud. We are proud and celebratory sinners who have no fear of God. This is you. This is us in and of ourselves. This is who we are. This is why we are not good people. We are not righteous. And we are not part of the solution. We are the problem. And I want this to sit on you today. I shared this quote a couple of times so far in this series. It comes from Tim Keller, and I want to bring it back up today. It says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Can I get an amen on that one? If Romans 1 through 3 has not taught you this, then we'll have to go through and do the whole thing again. We are worse. You are worse than you ever dared dream. You are worse than you thought. You've given yourself too much grace. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. That's the bad news. The good news, starting next week, is that at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted, here's the big word, in Jesus, than we ever dared hope. That's the peace that matters. we got to get out of ourselves and into Jesus. And that's what's going to bring us the hope over the next couple of months. Before you jump there too fast, sit today in the weight of our sin. 
Go back to that list and find yourself on it. And where it is that you see yourself here, confess it and repent. Like, agree with God. You're right, that is me. You're right, that is me. God, I repent. I turn from my sin and I turn back to you. Confess and repent where you find yourself on the list. And then come back here ready next week to weep with joy over the facts that there is a gospel for everyone, including you. And if you're here today and you don't know the gospel, most of these people know it already. They just haven't thought about their sin this way in a long time. But they know the gospel. If you're here and you know this, but you don't know the gospel, don't wait till next week. Come talk to me at Pastor's Point. Connect with our prayer team in the back of the room as you leave. Go to Connection Central. Let us share with you the gospel, the good news of Jesus. For those of you who do know it, don't jump there too quick. Let the weight of the sin sit on you so that the gospel becomes even more glorious when we declare it next week. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful that you gave us your word to reveal our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. I pray that we would take seriously the words of Romans 3 that reveals our heart and how ugly it really is so that we can rejoice greatly when we hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus that there's a righteousness that doesn't come from us. We celebrate that. Help us to see ourselves in our sin this week so that we can rightly celebrate the glory of our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.